4: On TV,
5: on radio, and on your smartphone, this is Talk TV.
6: Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. You're with talk on TV, on radio, online and of course on your smart speaker. Coming up, Rishi's emergency Rwanda plan backlash. The Home Secretary is forced to defend the move to revive plans to deport asylum seekers to East Africa as one former Supreme Court justice says the measures would be extraordinary. Meanwhile, there's more strife for Sir Keir Starmer. The Labour leader sees the biggest rebellion of his leadership after 10 of his front benches were among 56 Labour MPs voting for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, It still hasn't happened, by the way. And find out why the first four episodes of the final series of The Crown have split the critics. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It is your home of common sense. As we hurtle towards another big weekend coming up, it doesn't look as if there's much evidence of it uh, going on. The government are still at sixes and sevens, trying to work out who to appeal to. David Cameron has hot-footed it out to Ukraine for the obligatory photo shoot with Volodymyr Zelensky. George Osborne says that now Dave is in the Cabinet, there will be no more talk of leaving the European Convention on Human Rights. Absolutely not. And Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, in an effort to win back some voters... Any voters, frankly, is promising a cutback on benefit fraud. He's threatening to take away dental care, which most people don't have anyway, and free prescriptions from jobless people who refuse to work. And he's going to employ a load more therapists at the Department for Work and Pensions to help make the scheme work. Sounds like a lose-lose situation. Meanwhile, over in Starmerland, the peasants are still revolting and he's still reeling from losing so many members of his shadow cabinet and a third of Labour MPs in that vote for a ceasefire the other night, just when he should be celebrating the demise Of the tories he's managed to score a massive own goal and now it looks like he'll have to forgive them all if he wins the next election anyway as if all that uncertainty isn't enough to cheese you off there's more marches being organized for this weekend in london more pro-palestine supporters sticking two fingers up to the police and the jewish community and closing off huge swathes of london to traffic but that's not all now there's going to be a children's strike for palestine too Makes sense, I suppose, since most of the teachers are out on the hate march already. So don't be surprised if you see a load of kids parading around in Bristol, in Redbridge, in Glasgow, in Manchester, and all points north, south, east and west. I honestly think there's no point in educating these Muppets anymore. Half of them have been reading a letter to America this week from Osama bin Laden. Yes, that one. He wrote it in 2002 after 9-11 as a justification for the attack. And it's full of anti-Semitic lies, anti-US propaganda and vile views on homosexuality. Guess what, though? The kids are all buying it second time around. It's unbelievable. We'll be traversing all these subjects and a whole lot more tonight with a brilliant array of guests and, of course, with the help of your calls as well. And I've got a little surprise for you. You know I'm no fan of the BBC, but tonight I'm going to be sticking up for the new presenter of Woman's Hour, Emma Barnett, who's been subjected to some horrible abuse because of her common-sense approach to trans madness. Check it out. Oh, and Snoop Dogg says he's given up smoke. Miracles do happen. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. And don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV. And if you want to get in touch on the phones, it's 0344 4991 thousand costs uh, calls cost just the national rate. Now joining me in the studio to get stuck into some of these stories and some of these subjects. Historian and broadcaster Rafe Haydel manku Rafe, very good to see you again. Becoming a bit of a regular on this show, which I'm very pleased about. Um the world has indeed gone mad again this week, hasn't it? We've had from Monday um to now an incredible series of stories which in any normal sort of news cycle would only happen about once every three or four weeks, but they're happening once every three or four hours now, aren't they? I know, it's
5: it's quite crazy. I mean, I don't, you don't know where to start. No. Pick pick a topic. Well, For for me, one of the most insane statements was hearing that um, nonsensical Labour MP, Nas Shah, said, um, if they had called for a ceasefire yesterday, 144 children would be alive today, as if Hamas and Israel (laughs) are paying attention to an SNP vote, when they
6: actually haven't probably even heard of the SNP. Probably not, no. (laughs) They probably think it's something to do with Palestine, imagine it's got P in it. But you know, here's the thing. We've got uh, David Cameron back in the government, going off as as what I called a kind of a tap-in to go and see Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, Meanwhile, back here, we're preparing for more big marches at the weekend. Suala Braverman's uh, words have come back to haunt Rishi Sunak because last night, uh, despite what we were told on Saturday last week, what we saw was the uh, the Palestinian march kind of splintering off and people heading towards the cenotaph, heading towards war memorials, clambering all over them, only to be told by the police, well, we can't really arrest them uh, because it's not illegal. And this is some of the action from last night, which we saw live last night. But you can believe that on Saturday, this weekend, there's going to be more people marching and there's going to be more of this kind of thing. And when will there be an end to
5: all of this? I mean, it's now got to the point where our the centre of our capital city is being taken over yeah. by a mob that makes it unsafe, not only for Jews to walk the streets, yeah. but actually for the rest of us to yeah. feel safe. and just very irritating. irritating just... and dangerous. Yeah, I mean... And, of course, it's a big nonsense, of course, the police saying that, you, that they can't arrest people for climbing monuments when we know full well they arrested Greenpeace pr- yeah. protesters when they climb monuments right. they're, they're petrified by political correctness
6: and one must actually think are they actually supportive of the cause. Well you do begin to wonder about that I mean I saw some footage last night of a guy who was being quizzed by a police officer uh, because of something he shouted at the protesters basically said you know get out of here a bunch of terrorists or something like that and the police officer was trying to sort of quiz him as to whether he might have committed a hate crime and he's going he said well they're supporting Hamas he said well how do you know that they're just on a, uh, on a, on a march uh, expressing their opinions. Well, I can guarantee you one thing. If we had seen English lads with
5: uh, St George's flags on those right. monuments, they'd be in the nick right now.
6: They would not be out, yeah, and they wouldn't, they'd not they would be shining the street with their faces, I would imagine, as well, because they steamed into those guys, absolutely no question at all. But, you know, we've now got the incredible situation where tomorrow, even before Saturday, schools are going out on strike, sort of Greta Thunberg style, to free Palestine. You know the government has passed legislation. well, not not just this government
5: saying that you cannot promote uncontested ideology, and you cannot be you cannot be partial or biased and promote your own views and beliefs in school. Right. And yet here we have clear partisanship uh, by teachers, by schools, apparently officially sanctioned. And uh, you have to ask, you know, what's going on here? That, you know, there should be clear instructions sent down to the schools that they are forbidden. You know, we're always told about how important schooling is after COVID, how much time kids have Mm. missed out of the classroom. Now they're being taken out to support a political agenda. Yeah,
6: well, this has been going on for a while. I remember when there was a big climate march, and this was some years ago when when both of my... um, Two youngest were were still in um, secondary school, and they were told quite clearly by the head, "Oh, well, if you wish to go to London and take part in the march, we will give you permission to do so." Well, we know that. I'm going. Sorry. We know in this country,
5: fewer than 10% of teachers vote for the Conservative Party or yeah. centre-right parties. Right. There's been a huge sea change over the last 20 years in our education system. And this was one thing to try and talk about how we deal with university students, but the rot sets in much earlier. Yes. You know, Aristotle said, give me a child of the age of seven, yeah. and I will show you the man. Right. It's actually in primary and mm. secondary schools mm. that we're seeing the indoctrination of our children right. in a lot of very strange and disturbing ways of thinking, the yeah. agenda gender ideology, Uh, be it it Black uh, Lives Matter, critical race theory. This is all coming down much younger. Once you're 18, the game's over, the battle's lost. As I've always said, if the hair is blue, there's nothing you can do.
6: No, We have to go for them when they're much younger. Although I've got some good news on that front, (laughs) because that woman from Just Stop Oil who has got the blue hair. She's finally been locked up for about six months, but she's been vowing to continue with her crusade. But I mean, the thing is this, you're absolutely right, because the, the whole motive now for people on the march it's nothing to do with climate change. It's nothing to do with Palestine. It's nothing to do with British sort of colonialism. It's everything. It's all of the above, isn't it? So they're all on the same page, having been taught that these things are evil. Therefore, we must fight against them. When you've got radical Islam, BLM,
5: the socialist worker, mm-hmm. and just all, all yeah. allying, You know this is not about Palestine. This is about something much more more dangerous. It's anti-Semitism against Jews they regard as being part of this capitalist It's conspiracy. It's against Britain and it's against the West. These are the enemies of the West and all the values that we stand for.
6: Yeah, well, I made a a little monologue yesterday about all of the wars that have happened in the Middle East for for decades and decades and decades. In the 70s, late 60s, you know, they were pretty much at war, Israel, the whole time. There were no marches in London about that. And there's quite simple uh, reasoning why, because the people who are currently marching weren't here then. You know, there wasn't that kind of presence of people who are pro-Palestine and anti-Israel. The reason is because they hadn't moved here yet. That's true, but also when you
5: see the marches, there aren't. there's nothing comparable to what we're seeing every Saturday night now when we deal with, for example, Saudi Arabia bombing Yemen. Right. When the UN accused Saudi Arabia of human rights abuses yeah. for the murder of children. Mm. When we had the Syrian regime bombing its own people. Or when we had just last year, we had Iran, of course, brutally crushing protesters, yeah. where were those people protesting mm. there? You know, the Rohingya Muslims are called by the UN the world's most persecuted minority. I haven't even seen one person out on the no. streets protesting that. When Muslims kill other Muslims or when anyone kills Muslims, nothing happens in the Muslim world unless it's Israel or Jews who are involved yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly, or America
6: or, or something America. like that. No. Um, you'll be pleased to know there is now such a thing as the National School Strike for Palestine, uh, which is putting out all sorts of information to people. Uh, they've actually got one in Hackney, which sounds to me a bit like I don't know if you remember Dave Spart who was this kind of figure in Private Eye, um, who was your sort of common or garden, you know, um, local communist, who would basically attach himself to any kind of, you know, anti-Western view, any any kind of thing he could he could stand up against. And so Hackney now has its own Free Palestine movement, as does Burton, as does Harrow, as does Bristol, as does Redbridge in Essex. And in fact, in Essex, in Redbridge, their school strike is going to be organised outside the town hall. So presumably the local council are all okay with that as well. I try and take one of my kids out of school to take them to see their, you know, 95-year-old grandmother. Uh, You get a fine. Exactly. And were parents consulted about
5: all of this? I very much doubt it. This is the problem. And I, you know, I I gave a speech on this actually not so long ago. Parents need to get more involved in schools, become school governors, Get involved in all of this. If, t- if teachers are, are, are basically held to account mm. by parents, you may at least have
6: some semblance of, of balance yeah. coming into all of it. Well, this. here's the message. This week's action starts at 10am on Friday. Tell your friends, share as wide as you can. We need as many kids, young people and families striking for Palestine as possible. Let's make the MPs hear us loud. That's actually not really a very good sentence in English, so maybe they should be back in school learning what they actually... But, I mean, I do wonder, I don't know if you've seen this story about Osama bin Laden's Letter to America. I do wonder whether there's any point in teaching some of these kids because there's almost as though they only want to be taught certain things. You know, they don't want to be told, actually, Osama bin Laden was a bad guy. They want to read his Letter to America, uh, which I read today, uh, the original version published in 2002 in The Guardian, um, which had certain pieces of it left out certain sort of anti-Semitic tropes left out. You know, he talks about how, you know, the Jews run the world, they run the financial world, they run the financial uh, houses of the world. Um, they talk about how AIDS is, is, is a kind of revenge on homosexuality and it's killing the Western men because they're, they're terribly evil. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing that it's reared its ugly head again because it's been republished. Yeah, well, you know, this is all about the demoralisation of the West. Yeah. We've now
5: had 25, even 30 years of our children being inculcated with anti-British, anti-Western sentiment. We're told how Britain is uniquely racist in the world, that Britain was responsible for slavery uniquely, yeah. even though Britain was the first country to abolish it, mm. that the British Empire was uniquely bad, and that actually, you know, there is no reason to be proud of this country. And when you're constantly fed and drip-fed this negativity about our civilization and our values, yeah. you, be- you begin to believe anything like this. Yes. You know, there, was a, there was a very famous uh, KGB agent who came to America and Canada in the 70s he said their plan was to basically demoralise and undermine the, the youth of America. It's mm. a 15 to 20 year project after which it's impossible to convince them about any other arguments.
6: Right. Yeah, and that's kind of where we are now because those people marching who will march this weekend and will go in these school strikes tomorrow, they will be absolutely utterly convinced that Israel is in the wrong. And I find considering what's happened over the past sort of six weeks since October the 7, there's an extraordinary situation to be in. Well, of course, you have to realise they,
5: they've got no other reason. And actually, in a, in a sense, you can't blame the children mm. because they're not being exposed to any other point of view yeah. other than the point of view that their teachers are giving them. And right. what they're being told, essentially, is that Israel, for some reason, is the uniquely bad player mm. in this area. Where, of course, we know that's, not, that's far from the case. Hamas, we have to understand, uh, has a millennialist, nihilistic uh, hatred for Israel yeah. that will, means there will never be a chance of peace because their entire goal is the destruction yeah of Israel, that's that's, yeah. their, that's their raison d'etre. Yes,
6: it's in literally their Articles of Association as it is in, in Hezbollah's as well. Uh, we've got some uh, developments in Israel. We'll be talking to Richard Kemp who's out there uh, later on in the show, of course, because it turns out uh, that Israel we think have targeted one of the homes Uh, of one of the hamas leaders uh, who of course is absent without leave over in qatar because that's where he lives you're watching the independent republican mike graham stick around though because up next uh, we're gonna have a pop at soft east armor after dozens of mps defied his ceasefire stance plus with the court sinking the rwanda policy we'll investigate what alternative solution captain hindsight is offering up to solve the migrant crisis we'll have more coming up after this
0: Hope
5: you're well. Thanks for joining us.
6: You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Welcome to Friday Night with Nadine.
1: Here on Primetime, we like to speak to the business people behind big moments.
7: Good evening. I'm Piers Morgan, Uncensored, in New York City.
1: Very impressive. Well played.
3: I'm three days into the job. What have I done wrong? And
1: your face just (laughs) stared out at me. Me and you. Conquer time. Who wins? You. (laughs) Do you know what I love about Talk Today. We do it all. Sunak, Suella, scones.
5: Are you actually speech-rating for Rishi Sunak? <laughs> I'm so rich.
6: <laughs> but, uh, frankly, uh, I'm going to take the side of booze up Brits against these pompous... What, do you baguettes? mean you're not going to support Mayor José Luis No, Louis I fans. am not.
8: Stop pandying to the NIMBYs, to the naysayers and the National Society for the preservation of the habitat of the
6: lesser-spotted Newt. The problem lies in the bureaucracy. It's, it's almost like, like those highly done. paid
3: consultants don't really
1: know what they're doing.
6: The first thing they teach you in weather school is never confuse dog walkers with doggers. Twitter, you sons of <laughs> b-. Can you please reinstate my account? Yeah, Thank you. There's a threat that you'd be worried about.
1: <gasps> so are you saying that you're being overwhelmed, that you're inundated? We are really working hard for you. And we're just asking patients to be patient with us. Are we only going to be trusting sources like Meta and Google and Facebook and X, uh, formerly you known as Twitter? Where is our Where is our unbiased news going to come from? Welcome to the talk, it's really great to be back, my little darlings. Mm -hmm. Kids think all they have to do is stay at home,
8: be silly, Mm -hmm. take pictures of everything. Just shut down TikTok then, yeah? Problem solved. Problem solved.
3: There you
1: go. Who's fit as a butcher's dog? Him. Oh, right. Yeah, but, but he's now middle class. Three of here, Tess. I nearly have empathy when I'm speaking to them. I know, now you're probably going to whoop me off the show.
6: Kevin O'Sullivan is the
5: worst presenter on talk TV. TV. Sitting on his fat arse <laughs> talking
1: for a living. <laughs>
8: got former pms all over the joint saying things the last
1: few days we have indeed yeah <laughs>
3: great first show you having fun
1: oh a ton of fun yeah.
7: king peers and king cube i think it's only one for one king
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> just because they're skin folk don't mean they're kin folk
7: when i say i am god you think i'm joking or not you tell me i'm not joking well, i'd rather do it on camera no. no 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 if it's on camera we're not doing interview. why we'll explain why How do you feel about that influence that
3: you have? You better be careful. We're coming for your children there, buddy.
0: About my resignation. Yes, I'm going to go. You're going to to resign? Yeah, I'm
6: going.
5: I've been answering your question. You answer mine. It's
0: actually
7: not my job to answer your questions.
6: Thank God for Talk TV is not only the home of common sense. It's the only place where you get the truth. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Keir Starmer stuffed it up again. So Keir sent out close allies to face the cameras in London today uh, and warned rebels to stop acting like they are in a protest party after ten front benches quit their jobs to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, well, back with me in the studio is historian and broadcaster Ralph Hadel manku And joining us down the line, is chief political commentator at The Independent, a good friend of the show, Mr John Rental. John, very nice to see you. Uh, and welcome Hello, to the, uh, well, the, the newly... Welcome back. The newly turbocharged uh, Independent Republic, nine pm to eleven pm, Monday Thursday. Uh, it's a thing of uh, of some beauty. We're going to try and get a bit more rowdy than we used to get in the morning. So I understand from Rafe that you were picked by Dominic Cummings as um, one of his choices for a woke cabinet. I uh, was. Yeah, apparently, uh, yeah, I
3: didn't know that. I was. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Dominic Cummings told me off on Twitter for defending uh, allegedly defending Matt Hancock. Um, I did. I mean. I did say that I thought Matt Hancock was an extremely hardworking minister, uh, but uh, uh, Dominic Cummings seemed to take
6: offence at that. And, yeah, well, uh, I mean, I mean, he—I me he, he, think he referred to him as a proven liar in his testimony, did he not, uh, at uh, the COVID inquiry? So he obviously doesn't share your yeah, well, view. Yeah, well,
3: yeah, well, Dominic Cummings um, also edited his own uh, his own blog, so he, he, he can't really talk.
6: Uh, no, he can't. Well, nobody can, really, can they? I mean, this, I mean, I haven't spoken to you for a while, but I mean, I've mean, i never seen uh, such a complete and utter shambles, balls-up, omni-shambles, whatever you want to call it, uh, as this week has become for Rishi Sunak. I mean, I, on Monday, I honestly didn't think he would fire Suella Braverman before Wednesday. I thought he might at least hang on until then. But presumably he felt that there was nothing else he could do because she just wouldn't stop saying things that were clearly contrary yeah. to his plan. Well, no, he d- he decided to,
3: to uh, get rid of her anyway. Uh, he he wasn't quite sure when to when to do the reshuffle. but I mean that was obviously going to be Monday. Right. And then uh, what what he wanted to do was was uh, knock her off all the headlines by getting David Cameron in, uh, which he succeeded in doing for for
6: 24 hours. And yeah. then uh, and then published her poison, the poison pen letter. Well, about 24 minutes, I would have said, because I mean once everybody had sort of fallen, uh, had got their breath back and gone, sorry. David Cameron, is that, is that right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, suddenly now uh, they found themselves with the same situation, except Suelle Brahman just wasn't in the cabinet, and all the things that she said. Well, that's a much better situation.
0: Not well, having
3: Suelle I... Braavman in the cabinet is a better situation for Rishi Sunak. I mean, she was trouble, and has been trouble for for quite some time. I mean, she she lacks discipline. And she's not a team player. Um, whatever. You, I mean, whether you, whether you agree with her or not, she's not. she, she wasn't a very effective minister and he was quite right to, to get rid of her well uh, so you, he could, you, it, can, you can say that and
6: you, can, he, and you can call it a uh, shambles well the fact that it is a shambles because they haven't done any of the things that they said they were going to do they've got rid of one of the people that was actually doing quite a good job of convincing the public, who I know you don't like talking about very much, um, actually, you know, um, well, well, you know, because you you don't you mix in the Westminster bubble, you don't really know the public. The oh, public say... Oh, what utter nonsense, Mike. What utter nonsense. Now, the whole point about Suella
3: Braverman is that she wasn't delivering. She wasn't actually no, doing... No, and the, she's told stuff.
6: us why, because she's told us why she wasn't delivering, because one, yeah, she, the Home Office wasn't doing its job, and Rishi Sunak yeah. wasn't listening to her.
3: And who was in charge of the
6: Home Office?
3: I mean, yeah, we've had some ridiculous sob story about how Rishi Sunak wouldn't let her do all the things she wanted to do. We haven't actually seen what it was she wanted to do. Uh, and how he was stopping her. Well, I mean, she's uh, she explained,
6: explained it. Rafe, let me let me bring Rafe in here, because Rafe, I'm sure, will bring some sense to this conversation. Um, tell us <laughs> that uh, John yeah, russell has got I, I this were, completely wrong. I used, to, I used to be a great critic of
5: Soila Braverman, saying she, she talks tough, but where's the action? But yeah. when we read that letter, my God, suddenly my sympathies were on her, her side. Yeah. There she was behind the scenes, doing her best to actually deliver mm. on what the great British public wanted, and she was thwarted and obstacles were put into her place in every single turn. Of course, and now we know, of course, it wasn't just done by Number 10. We've had a, a piece out by another journalist, Steve Eddington, showing how the Home Office deliberately yes. tried to thwart uh, anything to do with, with stopping migrant boats, for mm. example. I mean, just remember, of course, the chief of the Home Office in charge of asylum left there to get a job at Amnesty International. Right. I mean, you couldn't make it up, right? That's the blob mm. that Swala Bravin was trying to deal with. And getting rid of her huh. is the greatest betrayal of the red war yeah
6: and and no, that's it <clears throat> you know the idea uh, john and, and steven agents is on with us a little bit later on in the show i mean the idea that uh, the, the basically the, the tory party has now gone back to the future they've all strapped themselves into the delorean and and, and <laughs> gone in the times capsule and they've gone back to where it was before the referendum yeah and they've now got uh, people like george Osborne, <laughs> Osborne piping up saying oh uh, well there's no chance now of ditching the echr because uh, david cameron's back in the cabinet i mean it's nonsensical
3: I don't know where you've been, Mike, but uh, but yesterday, I've been uh, the everywhere. Minister, yesterday, the prime minister gave me a press conference, which made it absolutely clear that uh, no, we have not gone back to the pre twenty sixteen. Oh right. okay. Future. Then. Uh, he's he's going I'll to uh, he's, he's <laughs> going to deliver what Suella Braverman failed to deliver. Uh, and he's going to try to stop the boats. And he's, he's no, he's not, not going to try to uh, stop he... the boats.
6: No, hang on, John. He's going to stop the boats. That's what he keeps saying. But the fact that you believe what he says so shows me that it's time you had a, quite a long holiday. No. Because the fact is no, no. That, that Rishi Sunak has been saying things ever since he's been prime minister and done the square root of bugger all. No, that's not quite true. But I mean, well, what's I think he done? He had... Give me one of his well, achievements apart from and the so safety he... institute doesn't count. Well, he's halved inflation. No, he um, hasn't, but he, no, he yeah, hasn't yeah. halved inflation. Inflation has been halved, not because he did anything. <laughs> True. Uh,
3: but he didn't do anything to stop inflation being halved, which is quite important because uh, people were suggesting... Well, he didn't do anything
6: tax. to stop it going up either.
3: Yes, he did. No, he didn't. He, he, he subsidised your energy bills. I don't know if you... I mean, the, the
6: problem is... I didn't want you him didn't to subsidise my nobody, energy nobody bills.
3: Nobody's grateful for it. But he subsidised your energy bill. No, he didn't.
6: No, I <laughs> subsidised <laughs> your energy bill, John. Which, well, that you know, it's true. our money. It's not it's his money. Prices down. It's our uh, money so that he's been subsidising everybody with, not your, not his own money. Yeah, but he did
3: contribute to keeping inflation down in that way. Uh, so, yes, he has done, he has done something. Uh, the idea that Suella Braverman was prevented from stopping the votes by uh, by Rishi Sunak, I'm afraid, is is, is is absurd. I mean, anyone who believes all that, nonsense she put in her letter. Uh, really, really ought to read it again. Well, uh, I've I mean, read she, it
6: more than like, once, and I do believe it, because I think that Rishi Sunak is not fit for the job. I don't think he knows... No, it's hang it's on. Red- this, is a guy, this is a guy who made five promises at the beginning of the year, and he said, judge me by the end of the year, and if I haven't made these promises work, uh, then you can take your action then. So let's have a look yeah. at those, those particular, you know, apart from inflation, which you agreed just now with me, has got nothing to do with him. He hasn't cut no, the No, I did no. I said well, it has got
3: something to do with no, him. Because because, he, no, because you actually know.
6: No, right. no, your explanation as to how giving people free money manages to keep inflation down is so insane that you should be working for Vladimir Putin. You know, the bottom line is, right, he didn't stop the boats, number one. He hasn't brought the waiting list down at the NHS. In fact, they've gone up. He hasn't created any growth because nobody's got enough money to invest in anything. Um, I can't even remember what the other two were. He hasn't done those either. The
3: the debt is still going up. Oh, the debt's still going
6: up. That's number four. What was number five? I think you've done them all. I think I've only done four. Anyway, he's done none of that. He's done absolutely nothing. So you've got nil point on any of those five scenarios.
3: No, well, hang on.
6: And, and, he, and he's cut the boats by 30%, he claimed. No, he hasn't. Um, because the, the weather's, tide, the weather's the been weather bad. The weather's done that. But let me get Rafe back <laughs> in, because I want to talk to you. The great thing about John Rental is, right, that he's a playwright, and quite openly admits it, but I was getting him on here, and he ends up defending the Tory party against my, uh, you know, that's incessant because... attacks on Well, them. it's only natural, because the Tory party <laughs> is
5: their life, isn't it? it has, it's, it's Conservative <laughs> in name only. Yes. And that's the thing about this government. 13 years of them, they love to, they love to sound tough. They love to get... Their headlines right. on the red top nothing going full well nothing will ever happen yeah and unfortunately you know, despite having promised to get immigration down to the tens of thousands mm. for example they never deliver but somehow the british public keep re-electing yeah. him and it's amazing how in the last few months just before we get to a general election we now suddenly have rishi sunak saying what a woman is you know finally Now yeah. we get well, now we get this whole thing about boats when he knew full well was going to be knocked down by the Supreme Court, but that of course sets him up as a champion of the people yeah. against the unelected
6: judges. All of this is just merely more spin. It's all cobblers. <laughs> absolute rubbish. Let's talk about Keir no, Starmer. I don't,
3: agree. I don't agree with any of that. No, Rishi Sunak did not know that he was going to lose in the Supreme Court. Well, he should Court. have done? I mean, I he was, what he was doing it deliberately in order well, to no, lose. Well, no, but he should But he
6: should have known he was going to lose. He should have <laughs> known. No, he
3: shouldn't have done. He shouldn't have done. He should have. He should have won. He had a very strong case. I was very surprised that the uh, that, that the judges took took the view they did uh but uh but they did and he's the judges, now on to the judges
6: will always take that defend. view because the judges will always side with the court of appeal and the bloody united nations but let's talk about keir starmer no,
3: that's, not, that's not that's not
6: true yeah it is true yeah. and then we're moving the on really now don't Listen, forget. we're moving on to keir starmer now because you can defend him if you like um he seems to get yep, himself I'll, into I'll defend a, him. it, yeah okay he, next he seems to, well you re- re- wrote a piece saying that he shouldn't have done what he did didn't you no i, I said, said you did I,
3: <laughs> I said, I said that 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 rebellion last night uh, was was not was not a serious problem for him. But I think what what he what might be a problem for him is his ruthless attitude and his lack of empathy in dealing with uh, MPs who came crying to him saying uh, saying they're very unhappy and they yes. wanted. To, they wanted to be allowed to call for a ceasefire, and he well, you he said sent them
6: well, the, the 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 headline on your piece here from the Indy Premium, which which I'm not paying for, that uh, says, Starmer's <laughs> ruthless stance on Gaza is asking for trouble." That sounds to yeah, me like you're being think, critical. Yeah,
3: no, I think I think it is. Ask, his attitude to uh, to to some of the rebels uh, is asking for trouble because some of them uh, went away from uh, meeting him thinking that he wasn't very sympathetic to. To them, and yeah. uh, whereas somebody somebody like like Tony Blair would have would have been just as uh, hard line on the on on the issue, but would have allowed them to go away, thinking that he he really cared and that he was very sympathetic. Well, to Tony
6: Blair had the that had the theory. advantage of being a great communicator, though, and he was a very charming yeah. individual. Starmer is neither of those things,
3: quite. And I think that that is his problem. But that is, that is all that that article says. I mean, apart from that, the article says that um, you know the rebellion doesn't really matter. It's mostly Labour MPs being rather uh, self-indulgent and thinking that they can uh, you know by by voting in in the in the UK parliament losing a vote in the UK parliament they can somehow influence uh, influence Israel's behavior I mean it's absurd.
6: But do you not see this as a bit of a, a sort of watershed moment for British politics where um, an event in another part of the world uh, is causing sort of angst for sitting MPs who are worried that they might lose their constituency support if they don't do something like this? Well, no I mean
3: no I, mean, I, I don't think there are that that many MPs who are worry about losing their seats. I mean there, there may be there may be a few. I mean I think a, a lot of them are uh, genuinely upset by what they what they see in the in, in the Middle East. I mean I think they're wrong to call for a ceasefire, but I can understand why they uh, why they feel strongly about it and uh, and, and want to,
6: Uh, signal their virtue. Well, they want to signal their virtue. I think that's the point, isn't it, Rafe? I mean, it's it's all about virtue signaling. It's not about, um, you know, worrying about the children of Gaza. It's more about worrying about the votes that they're going to lose if they don't go along and look very sympathetic. Well, it is quite remarkable that
5: so much energy suddenly applies now when we're dealing with only two million people in a yeah. tiny sliver of land right. and there have been so many other equally bad if not worse events happening yeah. in recent memory that haven't entailed any of this it's a wonderful actually example of why is there so much focus just mm. on on this cause but yeah i mean but as john was quite saying these mps are living in cloud cuckoo land mm. if they think if they think that the vote of the british parliament is going to have any if it even makes it into the newspapers in yeah. israel i'd be i'd be quite amazed and surprised about that
6: absolutely Final question for you, John. Uh, does Rishi Sunak make it to the next election or do you think he actually oh, yeah. ends up he ends up having to take a step back? Because uh, I've heard a very interesting theory, which I'm not going to share with you just yet, um, but it involves <laughs> David Cameron and a bit of a takeover.
3: <laughs> no, I think that's absurd. I mean, you know, the, the Tory party has done itself so you much wouldn't damage... wouldn't say that if you knew changing, who told me. ..changing its leader too often uh, recently. And uh, so the, the solution to the problems caused by changing its leader too often is not to change its leader again uh that is that is just going to make things worse i mean you know you would you think it's quite hard to, to to make things worse but i think the the, the tory party is quite capable of of doing that <laughs> no but i think they are
6: as is keir starmer
0: yes well
3: Yes, i was twenty-two points ahead in the opinion polls, uh, Mike. I don't think he's doing terribly badly.
6: No, but I mean, uh, but, I think uh, I'd be I'd be long. I'd be twenty-five percent ahead in the opinion polls. The Tories are that bad. <laughs> I mean, Reform are catching him up at this point. Any other you know, leader, any other know, leader would be twenty
3: points ahead. Yeah, yeah literally, I, I you people. know, Donald
6: Duck would probably be, you know, twenty points ahead of them at this point. But this isn't very good. I don't talk think that.
3: You. I don't think that is true for a moment. But I think the uh, I think the idea that Tory MPs are going to uh, ditch uh, ditch Richard Sunak before the election. It's absurd. They uh, they've had quite enough of that. Thank you. And most of them have just given up, and we're just waiting for uh, waiting for the sweet embrace of uh, electoral death.
6: <laughs> you put it so well. Thank you very much indeed. Good to see you, John. Uh, we'll see you back in here hopefully okay. soon next time. Uh, I know it's a bit no late for you. Uh, very good. He has to cycle around London in the dark. It's not safe. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, Rafe is going to stay put, apparently. um And also, uh, there's controversy for the crowd as a new book sheds light on an unanswered phone call between William and Harry. And I do promise you that this is not me going woke, uh, but for the first time, maybe in history, I'm going to back the BBC. Stay tuned for that story coming. Coming next.
5: On TV, on
7: radio, and on your smartphone. This is Talk TV.
6: Good evening. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course, we're on your smart speaker tonight rebel rebel more strife for secure starmer as labor sees the biggest rebellion of his leadership 10 of his front benches were among 56 labor mps voting for an immediate ceasefire in gaza and a concerning trend on tiktok sees young influencers reading out osama bin Laden's notorious letter to america unbelievable and gq's man of the year goes to i'm not going to tell you it's kim kardashian she's not a man what's going on welcome back we're going to take some more of your calls in this hour but also we're going to talk to hugh andre as well about the uh, big weekend that we just had last weekend uh, for armistice day and of course there's another big weekend of marching coming up this weekend uh, don't forget you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at talk tv and on the phones this is the number you'll need oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand calls cost the national rate and we will of course be doing that uh, in this hour of the show um, but before we do any of that how about this, here's one that'll get you going. An asylum-seeker from Nigeria was granted refugee status by the Home Office because he told them he was gay and couldn't return to his homeland because he would face persecution from terrorists in Boko Haram. This week, Saheed Aziz was up in Bolton Crown Court on a charge of masterminding a £220,000 parcel fraud on 272 unsuspecting victims who he persuaded to send things to him to sell on their behalf. He sold them all right, but then he kept all the money. The real kicker to the story, though, is that it turns out since he's been here, he's fathered three children with three different women. And his lawyer claims he now considers himself to be bisexual. As you might expect, she also claims that he can't be sent back to Nigeria because, of course, he's got parental duties to carry out. Brilliant. So when the Home Office say they'll do absolutely nothing to help the government on immigration, they're not kidding. And it looks like we're stuck with him. and coming up later on in the show as well we'll bring you the first look at tomorrow's front pages before anyone else we've got an exclusive look uh, at the sun newspaper and we've got that page uh, in front of us 13 uh, Rwanda flight 2024 is not a given uh, is inside the paper and the front part the front of it there is PC gone mad uh, cops warned saying policeman is illegal we'll bring you all the details on that Uh, coming up a little bit later on. I mean, some of the things going on in this world today are quite frankly incredible. Hugh Andre is here though uh, for Veterans Voice. Good evening and very good to see you uh, because there are some things in the world that remain a constant and one of them, hopefully and happily, is Armistice Day. Uh, Remember it's Sunday, you were there. um, Yes. We're gonna be looking at some pictures of your attendance there with some Mm. of your old colleagues and, and, and a wonderful day it was, despite all the nonsense of the day before.
7: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a weekend for the nation to remember and pay respect yeah. to the fallen. And, uh, and
0: it's really important. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already
1: hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax
0: and think about
1: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
2: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ.
6: I mean I've said this so many times that you know this is part of our heritage it's part of our history so many people who who fought and died for for what we have today um, need to have a day just at least one day a year to be remembered
7: yeah and I uh, you know I, I had you know the good fortune and the privilege to meet up with lots of old soldiers yeah. comrades and um, they, they were frankly all laughing at what had gone on the day before, on the Saturday, yeah. yeah, they didn't have really much time for any, for any of that. No. It was far more important why we were there, mm. who we were there to remember, and you know, and, and also to to meet up with um, old friends, yeah, old comrades who right. they hadn't seen for a while. Um We mentioned the train strikes, yes, certainly there were. There are four or five lads who'd come up from Andover, and it would take them about six hours right. to get up. Yeah, because, like, for some reason it
6: wasn't—they weren't striking, were they? but they, they were still on, they were, made. It. Sort of engineering works yeah. being done, and also, I mean, I don't know how much you can blame Sadiq Khan for this, but the Jubilee line was shut down, and that's the line that basically takes you to yeah. most of the parts of London that you would want to go yeah. on on uh, on Remembrance Sunday, and that was shut. So a lot of people were getting free lifts in cabs. I think uh, we we talked about that last week. Um, black cabs always doing a great job of, of uh, giving yeah. veterans a lift to wherever they need to go
7: but as always you know the great british tom the great british soldier he had a smile on his face yeah. he was going to make it what come what may, yeah. and he didn't let it get him down and you know that's, that's i think
6: that's what they're of, all about yeah that's at the end of part day. Of, of knowing what you know obviously mm. being having been in it of the armed forces and i know a tiny amount of just talking to people who, who have been in it is that you know you don't worry about what's going on around you. You've got a job to do. You go and do it.
7: Absolutely. You know, weight raised problems we used to call them.
6: Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't it funny that everything that the the, the armed forces do, for example, from the Queen's Jubilee um, to the funeral and that incredible gun carriage yeah. uh, procession, uh, to things that were done during COVID, everything that the army and, uh, and the forces do works. Yes. Everything that the government does. Um, and I'm not making this political because I mean this particular government doesn't work.
7: No, but I mean, I mean, the, the, the military is it, it trains and trains and rehearses, and it's all about you know what you see on the day, whether yeah. it's a trooping of the colour, King's birthday, remembrance. An awful lot of hard work and mm. effort has gone on yeah. to get to that point. And um, you know we have that saying, you know, prior planning and preparation prevents poor performance. Yes um and and you know that that is what the armed forces are all about mm. you know it's about practicing and being ready so that when the event comes god forbid you know if the king's enemy approaches on the horizon that's when they pull together and, well uh, we're going to talk to Colonel
6: richard them. kemp in a little while he's out in mm. israel um and you know people in israel are seeing that as a reality aren't they because so many people have gone back to fight uh, for, for the yeah. Israeli yeah. defence forces, whether they be reservists or whatever they be, but they go back and fight for their country.
7: Yeah, as we've seen in, in Ukraine as well. And, you know, I, over the last few years, I, so often I hear people criticising, you know, the young people, the teenagers, oh, back in my day, mm. etc. It wasn't like that. Well, I took numerous 18-year-olds on live operations. Yes. Yeah. Um, and more recently, we've seen them go off to Iraq and mm. Afghanistan. Um and and do the job that they've been asked to do. Mm. So, you know, I think one has to be a little bit sensitive as to casting that sort of... ..that that that, that, how is it, that view over yes. all young people. Yes, of it's course. Not, it's, not, it's not the case. No.
6: No, I mean, I was having a go earlier on at some of these um, sort of eco-loonies who seem to come from one particular quarter, which tends to be a rather privileged one. Yes. Um, because I think people who come from... A much more hard-working sort of working-class background um they take to it in a very different way yeah. don't they because yeah and
7: but you know and whilst we might have a pop at them and you know i'm not particularly into you know yogurt knitting and tree hugging and all that sort of stuff i have no problem with yeah. it but you know ultimately it comes all the way back to that poppy yeah and the symbol yes you know and giving all of these people mm. the right to protest to have free speech, etc. But just remember, that works both ways.
6: But also, yeah, I mean, I still think, as I said last week, that it would have done them no um, uh, disfavours at all that the organisers of the Palestine marching, if they had just said, all right, we're not going to do it this weekend, we just don't need to. Because they've now done one again on Wednesday. Last night, of course, uh, we're going to see it now. Uh, We saw, I think, a flavour of what we're going to see for the next few weeks if the police don't get a bit tougher, which is um, obviously breakaway groups of people late at night, moving into different parts of London, in this case, heading towards the Cenotaph. They ended up um, up at the um, Royal, Artillery. Royal Artillery Memorial yep. and they were climbing all over it. And the police sort of, you know, still not quite sure what to do. And it's, it seems astonishing to me that the police are going, oh, well, we're not really sure. We don't think it, it's, it's
7: illegal to do it. it, it we it, can't really do anything about it. There's it, no excuse for that. No. Because, you know, we, we should have been warned about that when Brian Ferry's son started swinging yeah. around the years well, ago. And he went years to jail ago. For that. Yeah, he so joke you know, this is where I think James Cleverly. I mean, that's that's James Cleverly's former regimental memorial. Yeah. So if he doesn't get cheesed off with it, mm. then no one will. But right. he has to empower the police now to lift, and this is what we talked about. Lift in court the next day. Yeah and punished and just get rid of it because otherwise it's not going to stop and in fact because of the way that
6: the policing has happened i think they're going to become more emboldened there's another big march coming up on saturday i believe on sunday um there's a sort of christian um mm. parade which is being uh, put out there in support of israel i just worry that you know these issues are becoming incredibly polarizing and the police don't seem to know how to handle them
7: no um no in my humble opinion it should be a police force yeah um, and I also know uh, a, a significant amount of veterans yeah. who've left the police force yeah. um, because you know they weren't a graduate or they just didn't fit that sort of type. At the yeah. end of the day, there's a place for graduates, there's a place for non-graduates, yeah. there's a there's a, a place for the guys who and girls who come out of the armed forces, etc., and ultimately want to get the job done. But yeah. you know, when, it, when the force of law has to come down hard. Yeah. Um, in order to, to send the message out, you do this, yeah. you're going to pay the price. Yes. But we're not going to just, you know, there, there, you're a victim of society. Yeah. Or whatever. We're not just going to stand by and let Correct. you
6: carry on. Because apart from anything else, I mean, I was saying this earlier, you know, London has become a bit of a no-go area for a lot of people at the weekends, you know, people that would not otherwise come up to Christmas, come and see the Christmas lights. I've spoken to loads of friends of mine who, you know, don't come to London that often but want to come and get a Fortnum and Mason's well, I mean, they, or whatever. They, they,
7: yeah. And they're like, I'm not going to come. Those idiots jumping all over the, the Royal Artillery War Memorial there. How would they feel if we went and jumped all over their mother or father, grandfather's grave? Yeah, I know. Went and jumped over their brand new set of wheels. Right. You know, would soon kick off. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's it's lack a, of respect. It's a
6: lack of respect. It's, it's not right. And if they can't curb it themselves, somebody's going to have to do it for yeah, them. Yeah,
7: and that lack of respect, I, I agree with you, should have been extended... The last weekend, yeah. but it wasn't. But it wasn't. But none of the soldiers I spoke to, frankly, could give a flying fig.
6: Right. I'm quite glad you said that. I thought you were going to say something else for a minute. Uh, <laughs> Israeli forces, meanwhile, say they've attacked the house of a senior Hamas leader in Gaza. Fighter jets struck the house of Ismail Haniyeh, uh, who was based in Qatar last night, and the Israeli military claimed his home was used as terrorist infrastructure and a meeting place for the organization's. Senior officials. We're going to talk now uh, to Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, who's joining us from Israel. Uh, Colonel Richard, welcome. Very, very good evening to you. Thanks for being here with us. I know it's late there. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, let's just talk a, a little bit before we talk about what's happening there in Israel. I mean, I don't know whether you've seen what happened here last night with uh, with Hugh myself, uh, and, and we've been talking about you know something really needs to be done. We think in terms of the policing of these marches before it gets so out of hand that they basically can do whatever they feel like doing.
9: I do agree with you. And it wasn't only last night, but also on Armistice Day when the uh, anti-Israel parade was taking place through London. Yeah. um, There were at least two war memorials that I saw desecrated, climbed on and had Palestinian flags draped over them during the course of that march, never mind the chanting of, um, jihad and from the river to the sea, which was pretty uh, pretty common as well. So I think there does need to be more police action against this sort of behaviour. It's not just that, and I think it's, I, I do think it's shameful that war memorials can be desecrated in this way, but also I know a lot of Jewish people in London are absolutely terrified of the, the intimidation and the intimidating calls and shouts that have existed over the course of the last weeks with, as I said, from the river to the sea jihad, which means inciting violence war and destruction of the state of israel so i think yeah I, I couldn't agree more with both of you
6: yeah absolutely right i mean one of the things um that we spoke about a bit earlier in the show as well that, that seems to be afflicting uh, many of the young people who are taking uh, this little palestinian side even though they may not have any any reason to other than just their own thought process um osama bin laden's letter to america uh, which I remember back in 2002 after 9-11, has now apparently resurfaced, and a lot of young people passing it around on TikTok and saying, well, of course, this is the justification for why 9-11 had to happen and exactly why Palestine has to be avenged and all of this. I mean, it's a very odd world we're now living in.
9: It is, and and, and of course, these people very often miss the context and they miss the full content. And I think within that letter that bin Laden wrote, there's things like saying that, you know, homosexuality is illegal and all gays should be killed or suppressed yeah. or oppressed yeah. and, and numerous other causes that the the young woke people of uh, the, the modern day hold hold dearly uh, and yet they were condemned and, and and the kind of liberty that they that they like to enjoy was also mm-hmm. condemned by bin laden so they they you know they get hold of these things sometimes and um uh, you know and and run with it as if it as if it this is some kind of thing that they can support and it's just it's just extraordinary really and they don't really have an idea of the context yeah. or the background to it
6: no exactly right and what's the uh, the, the feeling in, in israel where you are now because i hear a lot of conversations in this country um both on and off uh, broadcasting networks about how Israel's kind of losing the propaganda war because an awful lot of people are siding with Palestine. We had the vote for a ceasefire in Parliament last night. I mean, how, how is it? How is the, the mood uh, in Israel right now?
9: Well, interestingly, before I answer that, I'll make one point. I, I've met a lot of IDF soldiers um, on the border with Lebanon today, for example, and in the border with Gaza in recent days. And many of them are young young people there are also older ones who are well reservists to call back to the color but many young people um including many young brits i met several british uh, jews who are serving with the IDF t- this afternoon on the lebanese border and there are, there are a lot of them and, and i would echo the words that uh that um was were mentioned earlier um about how young people are not the kind of Snowflakes that they're often portrayed as if they're given proper leadership and um, and and you know that they, they, they have a cause to serve and a cause to fight for and you see you see that very very obviously here in Israel, but the mood generally speaking they they, do, they are aware of the um, a, a great deal of the uh, anti-Israel propaganda that's been going around in the Western world not so much in the Arab world it's a very different picture in the Arab world but certainly in the Western world. Um, and they're aware of that, and they they kind of almost resign themselves to it because they're used to it. It's a, a, a anti-Israel propaganda that's been built up over very many years mm. And when you ask you know people people say well the the IDF, yes, the the Israelis suffered a terrible uh, terrorist attack on the seventh of october and and everyone I think is horrified by what they saw of that. and but then they say, but the IDF are now killing uh, huge numbers of innocent people in Gaza well, we don't know that. Well, what we do know, we know some innocent people are dying in Gaza. We don't know the numbers. We know that the statistics that come out of Gaza are provided by Hamas, and that can't be relied on. They're often exaggerated. We also know that the only way that the IDF can can defeat Hamas, which is the people that carried out these attacks on the seventh of October, which re- which have been firing missiles uh, into Israel, into Israeli civilian communities incessantly since then, the only way they can defeat them is by attacking them militarily in great force. And to do that, unfortunately, because they hide behind human shields, some civilians are going to die. The IDF are very careful about targeting military targets and trying to avoid killing civilians. But unfortunately, as in all wars, that's what happens. And and actually, the IDF have a far greater ratio. Historically, I don't know about this war, but historically they've got a far more favorable ratio of kill of civilians compared to fighters than most other countries, including the United States and Great Britain and Afghanistan and Iraq.
6: Yeah, exactly right. Hugh, let me bring you back in as well. Because-
7: Richard, hi there, how are you?
9: I'm very well, good. here. Very good to see you after all these years. It's been a <laughs> You're few. You're looking younger than ever.
7: <laughs> Thank you. Too kind. Richard, I, I know full well, obviously, the extensive experience that you had um, in in the British Army, you know, operating in cities predominantly in Northern Ireland. Um, And we know how difficult it is when you're training uh, for urban operations. Um, What do you think the challenges are for Israel now? Because, you know, obviously they're looking at a highly built-up area. We were very experienced at counterinsurgency warfare, winning hearts and minds. Uh, I would suggest winning hearts and minds of the people in Gaza would be a bit more of a struggle. So how are they going to target you know, how are they going to actually locate and target and engage with Hamas without huge collateral damage?
9: Well, it's, it's as you rightly say, it's incredibly difficult. And it's not, we shouldn't, what we shouldn't do is compare, um, let's say, Gaza to Northern Ireland. It's more like a foreign country. The idea, the, the Israelis as a whole left Gaza completely in 2005. And what effectively happened is a foreign country invaded. So they don't have... the they have never had the same kind of police operation in Gaza as we had, for example, in Northern Ireland. Um, and so they're, they're, they're basically fighting a war, probably not too dissimilar to the the the, the, um, the war, the you know, the war in Ukraine, for example, in the city of Bakhmut, which which also huge numbers of casualties, military and civilian, were inflicted. The difference is that um, in the case of Bakhmut, they managed to evacuate most of the civilian population, and Also, you can identify the enemy by their uniforms, whereas, of course, the Hamas don't wear uniforms. So that adds a huge complication to it. The IDF do have very good intelligence, um, including real-time intelligence, on the terrorist organizations, and that includes monitoring their communications, whether it's mobile phones, radios, or any other form of communication. Mm -hmm. So they can quite often pinpoint individuals. But but the the, the real real challenge is, given that there are still quite a few civilians inside Gaza City, most of them have left now, but there are still quite a few. And the challenge, of course, is, particularly in dealing with these hospitals that have been used as Hamas headquarters, trying to root out Hamas and destroy their military capabilities without killing uh, civilian patients. So that's a very, very tough challenge. On top of that, they've got a vast tunnel network, something like 300 miles at least of tunnels running underneath Gaza City, um, which some of which have to be cleared. Others can be simply collapsed or maybe in due course flooded. Um, but some of them do have to be cleared because, of course, the, the third major challenge that the idea faces um, is the 240 or thereabouts hostages, which are being held somewhere or other in Gaza in a number of different places. And that that adds a massive complication to the challenges they face.
6: Absolutely right. Colonel Kemp, um, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your time um, and good luck with your your time in Israel as well. Um, And watching uh, tonight, it would seem, Hugh, um, that there is some movement uh, as as, as far as this Hamas command centre having been located is concerned. I mean, they're obviously being very strategic, deliberate and, and they're going to take a long time to do this, aren't they?
7: Yeah, and they were, and they were also um, given quite a lot of warning. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a few weeks now, we were seeing Israeli soldiers, mm. you know, getting prepared to invade on the border and then nothing happened. Yeah. And as a soldier waiting to be given the nod yeah. to cross the, the line of departure, the start line, as we called it, right. um, that, that's difficult. So uh, as uh, Colonel Richards said, Hamas aren't in uniforms. Mm and they'll disappear into the ether. Um, So it's gonna be, yeah, there are plenty of
6: challenges ahead. It's gonna be very tough, Hugh, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Hugh Andrew, the veteran's voice, of course, uh, we'll be back next week uh, when we'll bring you more uh, from life of uh, veterans, many of whom are struggling, uh, trying to get to, to back into uh, the society that they that they left to go and fight for their country. Uh, but we will bring you more of that. Uh, you're watching the Independent Republic with Mike Graham. Stay with us, though, because we're going to take your calls, and you're going to love the next two stories. The Guardian uh, has today been forced to remove this letter we mentioned by um, Osama bin Laden, and we'll tell you why next. And how the hell has Kim Kardashian ended up on the front of GQ magazine as Man of the Year? For God's sake! Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. the world of work. Women say it's not easy being a woman in this day and age. You're bombarded with advice on what to wear, who to date, when to have children, what to say, who to admire, and that's before you find you're sharing a changing room with a bloke in a dress saying he's just like you even though he's got a penis. It's a confusing old world, but spare a thought for us men, ladies, because this year's GQ Man of the Year list has just hit our desk, and it's a bit weird, to say the least. The list purports to recognise stars from entertainment, fashion and sport who have made 2023 a year to remember. Well, I can think of quite a few. King Charles for one, Ronaldo maybe for another. How about Mick Jagger putting out another Rolling Stones album in his 80s? Or even Donald Trump? But no, the US version of GQ magazine is out this week, and they've not mentioned any of the above. In fact, it's even more bizarre than that, because on the front cover of the Men of the Year issue, is none other... Then Kim Kardashian, famous for that sex tape, famous for being in a reality TV show, and famous for being Kanye West's ex-wife. Not famous for um, being a bloke. And that is the world of woke, bloke. The world of woke. Unbelievable, isn't it? You just can't imagine what's going on. I've got a panel here. We're going to be talking about a great many things, including Osama bin Laden and Kim Kardashian. This is the only show where you get those two names in the same sentence, I can tell you that. Uh, But lots of you have been getting in touch as well. So let's hear from a caller. Catherine is in Cyprus. Wants to talk about asylum seekers. Catherine, a very good evening
0: to you. Hello. Hello, Mike. Yeah, hi. What Um, do you want to tell me? uh, We're a population of just uh, over a million in Cyprus. Uh And we get uh, about a 1,000 immigrants every month.
6: Where are they coming from?
0: Uh, They come through the north of Cyprus. Mm. Uh, they, They go the Libyan route. They come through the north of Cyprus and then they get asylum in Cyprus.
6: Right. So they get northern Cyprus first and then they get asylum in the south?
0: Well, yeah, which is part of Europe.
6: Right, Okay. And where do they then go?
0: They, they just stay here in camp.
6: OK. Are they given work? Are they given, you know, assistance to, to stay in houses or anything?
0: Uh, no, the Cypriots are not that, not as stupid as the Brick.
6: Right. So, and is it a relatively um, new thing then?
0: No, it's been going on for a couple of years
6: now. OK. Interesting. Well, we'll see. And then do they move on from Cyprus or do they stay where they are?
0: They stay where they are. I mean, I was and, in Cyprus. Uh, it's just
6: quite a nice place. I would stay there as well. Well, um, where were you, Mike? Um, oh, I don't know. Somewhere near Paphos. Oh, OK. It's very Fair nice. Enough. It was lovely. Yeah, I must come back. I should look out for you. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Sharon, uh, who's in Wigan, wants to talk about the cost of asylum seekers. Hi, Sharon. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank you. Good. How's
0: yourself?
6: Yeah, very well. What do you want to tell me?
0: Uh, well... When they actually come over on the boat, yeah. you know, it's my petate, the old people have to pay for the care, and they get everything for nothing. Yes. So why can't the government make a law that if they do end up going asylum here, they have to pay all the boat back, mm. all the lawyers' fees, yes. everything, because students have to. The older made to sell their homes to pay for the curse, so why should they get
6: everything for nothing? Yeah, I know. Well, this is ridiculous, isn't it? It seems to me that we're wasting an awful lot of money, which could be spent elsewhere. That's absolutely right. Thanks very much for your call. Final call from John in Newcastle, wants to talk about the cost of it all as well. It's unbelievably, John, I heard somebody today uh, saying, from the Home Office point of view, oh, we haven't had enough money to be able to deal with it. Well, they're spending millions every single day, aren't they?
0: Basically, I think this government is a farce. And I think also the parliament itself is a force, as we've seen uh, as from yesterday. But getting to Rwanda, uh, I was watching a little bit of GB News tonight, and they were interviewing a chap, and he said that Rwanda, the price of sending one person to Rwanda, and that that, that amount will be limited, is the same as having a person for 12 years in a hotel in this country. Wow. Which I find quite amazing. That is incredible. I Where did they get
6: these numbers from?
0: Well, this, the, yes, I just can't understand. And he, he was being interviewed, you know, and uh, he, he said this, 12 years, the cost of sending one to Rwanda, and that will be a limited figure. Also, may I just happen to say that I was watching GB News yet again today. Yeah. And you're watching it far too much, John.
6: I mean, mate, it. listen, you, know, you can't really come, come on here and start telling me about how much you've been watching GB News. That's not a good idea at all. Uh, uh,
0: well, well, no, I'm going to have to well, ban you from watch, watching it. I don't watch BBC, you see, so therefore you're the two. Yeah, um, all right. The, the reality well, make it was one. schoolchildren children uh, being, you know, talking about Gaza and, and being taken out of school in yeah. March. And I thought that was disgusting. It
6: is disgusting. Well, if you are watching this show, you'd have heard about that on here as well. school strikes happening tomorrow. We'll tell you where they are. There'll be one in Newcastle. He's going to have a word. John, thank you very much indeed. Um, We'll take more of your calls, of course, throughout the course of these shows that we're doing now at night, the Independent Republic, on at night night, instead of daytime. Moving on, though, Keir Starmer's election dreams have been slain further by the Labour ceasefire mutiny, while Osama bin Laden's letter to America justifying September 11 terror attacks gained sympathy on TikTok. What the hell is going on? Joining me to discuss all of this and more is my panel for tonight. Uh, We've got Steve Edgerton from The Telegraph. Welcome. Uh, Writing and commentator Candice Holdsworth and Director of Communications in the Henry Jackson Society, Megan Gittos. Welcome to all three of you. Uh, We've got the front pages to look at later on, but before we do anything else, I mean, I want to talk to you first about uh, the world of woke story that I did. Kim Kardashian winning GQ's Man of the Year. Or at least being pur- 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 purporting to be on the cover of GQ magazine. I mean, are you feeling put upon, Stephen?
4: I suppose I feel a bit upset about it. I don't really read GQ too much. I don't, much, no. To be honest. Um, but uh, I mean, they could have chosen the man, it could have been nice. I mean, it's Man of the Year. I mean, imagine if you made some man the Woman of
6: the Year, it wouldn't happen with Candice, would it?
8: Yeah, it happens with some things. I mean, what did. Uh, what's Although, his name? what was that? Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney. <laughs> he won <laughs> yes. Woman of the Year for something. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah. you have to balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> i mean really and she was like dressed in that strange outfit as well like yeah. looking quite butch and very un kim kardashian yes it's clearly a publicity stunt
6: yes i mean i guess everybody even gq needs publicity at some point or other do you care um at all i mean
1: it's got everyone talking hasn't it so it does seem like it's yeah worked. but um yeah i guess it's is one of those things um she will always create um, a story, whatever yeah. she does. So, she <laughs> yeah. I mean,
6: I worry now though, that some of this wokery is just being kind of continued because it does get publicity mm. because, you know, people like us talk about it. And so, you know, we're maybe, maybe we're perpetuating it by giving them, um, you know, attention whenever they want it. You know, a bit like the big story this week, the Endometriosis story, yes. uh, where they appointed a trans woman to run know. a charity. Uh, for a for a, for an illness that basically only afflicts women.
8: I know. I know that interview though that Emma Barnett did was really, really, really. She was good. great. Yeah, she is. She's excellent. I defended
6: the BBC for the first time ever yes. uh, on the show tonight because I actually thought that she because she's been getting terrible, terrible grief. It for, really for being a transphobe and all the rest of
8: it. Well, she's, you know, suffered with endometriosis yeah. herself. She's actually written a lot about her fertility struggles because right. women who suffer from it do suffer terribly with trying to conceive. Mm. So, I mean, she's really... She has a personal perspective on this. Right. I mean, they always do this. If it's J.K. Rowling, it's Helen Joyce, whoever it is, if it's a woman who says these things, mm. she'll get leapt on by the trans activists. And, you know, it silences a lot of women. It's such a problem. Yeah,
6: bloodline. absolutely right. We'll get back onto the subject of uh, school strikes and, um, and the whole kind of issue of marching, which is going to be going on this weekend. Stephen, I just wanted to congratulate you on your great piece that you've managed to procure from uh, some Home Office guy uh, or woman uh, or non-binary person, knowing what they're like yeah. at the Home Office. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Telegraph had this great piece about how nothing really gets done in the Home Office which has got anything to do with helping
4: anybody in the government, to to get immigration numbers down. It's incredibly worrying. So, Mm. as you mentioned, we commissioned a piece from an anonymous civil servant who was writing from the Home Office describing their perspective within that department in terms of how people deal with immigration. And they were saying that their colleagues do not want to control... Britain's borders. They see it as their role to be a resistance against the current government. This is unbelievable,
6: isn't it? I mean, civil service resisting the government. It's
4: (laughs) anti-democratic. It's unacceptable. And James Cleverley, he must do everything in his power to investigate Hmm. the allegations that were raised in that Telegraph piece. I think he's got a real bit of work on his hands in order to get the department under control.
6: Yeah, and one of the questions when we talk about Keir Starmer is that what would Keir Starmer do um, in terms of the Home Office, in terms of the, the, the policy that the Labour Party would have? Nobody seems to know, because there's nobody in Labour really saying anything.
8: Well, he said that he would rather tackle the trafficking gangs directly, but the National Crime Agency said that's not totally feasible, you need legal disincentives mm as well, because the way that the criminal gangs operate, they're quite disparate and fragmented. So it would actually be very difficult to just focus on that. You need other methods as well. But he doesn't like the Rwanda scheme, no. Keir Starmer, but he hasn't said what he would do in terms of, of the uh, legality or what he would try and do to disincentivize people from coming in the first place. Yeah,
6: Megan, are you surprised that the Home Office is so kind of anti-government? I mean, presumably it would also be anti-Labour if they got in, because if they wanted to do the same thing.
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing with the civil service. You're never going to have them supporting the one party in government at the time. I'm not necessarily surprised by what I read. Um, there's It's a problem across government that party um, departments just kind of stagnate. If you look at the chronic procurement problems in the MOD yeah. with those enormous amounts of money that that they're overspending on mm. things that just don't work. So no, it didn't necessarily surprise me right. at all. And
6: when the piece ran, Stephen, you uh, were able to find out from inside the Home Office that, that the, the bosses, if you like, um, the mandarins, I suppose, were, were telling the, the employees to completely ignore any criticism, that they're doing a great job and you know have another five days off and go and do something for Black History Month.
4: Well, it's a speciality of mine doing stories about the home office, yeah. and I know for a fact that the bosses in the home office, whenever I do a story, they get extremely upset about mm. everything that I'm publishing. Right. Um, they, so they complain to the paper. They, no, they com- well, they complain to me right. and they ring me up and they right. shout at me, but they also, um, they they have these internal emails and they say, don't look at this, as a terrible criticism. Right. They, they do little meetings and they talk about my stories and they say, oh, you must ignore this, this is terrible. How dare the telegraph go after right. us? We must all unite and and we must double down on but our diversity agenda.
6: They presumably must think you're the evil personified wing, sort of publicity wing of the Tory evil government.
4: Well, I'm sure that they do, but I'm merely holding them to account for their actions. I yeah. think that they have a democratic duty To deliver on the government's priorities on immigration which is to control our borders and they're not doing that Mm. yeah and
8: they really go without scrutiny as well we've got no idea what they're doing i thought the telegraph has actually really broken some good stories Mm. even though they're quite frightening stories like the former hamas operative who was given citizenship here Mm. you just think who who did that Mm. i mean who actually okayed this how did this happen and these things have been going on and no one has any idea about them. we have
6: story after story after story of people who have come into the country, managed to get asylum here by false pretenses. Uh, We've got one up in Bolton today, a guy, a Nigerian guy, who said he couldn't go back to Nigeria because he was gay. It turns out, since he's been here, he was granted asylum. He's had three kids with three different women. His lawyer now says he can't go back to Nigeria because he's got parental responsibilities. But he's not gay anymore, he's bisexual, apparently. And you just go, come on, guys, I mean, this is not tough. You don't have to be a
4: really, really horrible inquisitor to actually get the truth out of people who are telling lies. This is the crucial point, and this is something that was mentioned in the Home Office piece, yeah. is that everyone in the Home Office understands that there are me- huge abuses to our asylum system, but when you suggest to tighten the rules, <laughs> they say that, no, this would be terribly evil and, right. and awful and we can't, can't do anything about it. All no. they, they allude to international law. They'll say, you know, if you want to control our borders, for example, with the Rwanda mm. um, scheme, uh, actually, no, it's not possible because of international law. So every single scheme mm. that's proposed is simply shut down or ignored.
6: Right. Exactly right. We might have some news from The Telegraph actually coming up very shortly on uh, development, uh, on Sorella Bravman writing a piece. But, but let's just talk about a little bit about Osama bin Laden, the letter from America, or letter to America. Um, I mean, you guys are all younger than me. I mean, almost everybody is these days. Um, I remember 9-11 as if it was yesterday. My sister was in New York at the time, I was in London. Um, and it was just such a horrendous thing. And the fact that Osama bin Laden's name has now kind of resurrected, thanks to TikTok, and is kind of feeding into this social justice movement for young people. Um, You guys are all sensible enough not to to obviously fall for it, but are you surprised at what's going on?
8: It was quite shocking. I mean, for me, it was two things. I thought, one, this is the role of social media. People are just in these deep, deep echo chambers. Yeah, like silos. Yes. And then two, I thought, yes, this social justice ideology, like you said, it's totally poisonous. I mean, they're viewing someone as sadistic and demented as Osama bin Laden as some sort of person fighting against the great oppressor. I mean, they just don't have a clear view of him and what motivated him and why he did what he did. But also, I mean, to read that letter and not come away a bit horrified is also quite frightening. You just wonder what sort of ideas that they're imbibing and how steeped in anti-Semitism they are. And and
6: what else they're being taught in school, Megan, as well, because obviously they're being prepared for this kind of anti-Western propaganda, aren't they?
1: I think it's hard to picture um, an age group where 9-11 isn't the, a massive force in their life. Like mm. It's my first political memory and it's shaped pretty much every day of our existence since then. Um, but I think the most um, alarming thing about it is that with all the information that's out there, she seemed to not know, the one we were talking about in the green room, mm. seemed to not know an awful lot about mm. its ideology and how inhumane it is and how mm. it's been something we've been trying to disperse for a long time. Right. So, yeah, the point about schools is really interesting because how's this not come up, especially right. in America?
6: Well, we see this, don't we, um, in this country where we've seen uh, from the various marches that have been going on for the last five, six weeks or so, um, you know, whenever journalists go out and ask people who are on the march yes. what they know about Hamas or what they know about October the 7th, it's amazing how little they know. Yeah. That They don't seem to understand that they're in danger of supporting a very, very bloodthirsty
4: organisation. I think there's a real ignorance. And I think this is also to do with people's connections to both their country and their history. Mm. So I think young people today are not patriotic. I don't think they have any connections to the past. I think they despise the West, as you say, and they see that Osama bin Laden, for example, they don't understand. I don't think they understand what 9/11 mm. is, what 9/11 was, how he was involved in that. I think yeah. this is a complete. I hope that that's it's it's right. an ignorance, and they don't actually understand mm. what actually happened. Um, and I think that this it's part of a general sort of attack on our mm. on our culture and on our history. And and as you say, it's interesting that 9/11 is finally sort of seeping out of people's minds and memories in the same way that the second world war is also starting to sort of fade well i found it quite interesting over
6: armistice weekend because you know you didn't see very many young people wearing poppies you know i'm not a poppy fundamentalist i don't think you have to wear a poppy i think you do what you like you know wear a white one if you want wear don't wear one but you know i noticed for the first time this year a lot fewer poppies actually being worn yeah
1: yeah i think as a general point that's certainly true over armistice weekend it's something i'm notice more generally mm. um, I remember growing up there was a lot of pressure to wear a poppy it was yeah. kind of instilled in you right. um, of course it's great when people support the Royal British Legion but I think Legion but I think it's uh, something that spans generations now I, d- I don't know why it's kind of declined but it's less um, of a young person's problem right. I think
6: well tomorrow don't worry there'll be the free Palestine skill strike I don't know whether this has been inspired by the likes of Greta Thunberg, but there's a a couple of press releases that I've seen from schools from as far away as Bristol, Manchester, Glasgow, Essex. They're all going on strike tomorrow at 10am, and presumably with the OK of the teachers and the local councils, they're going to march around... Their local neighborhoods instead of being in school so what they're not going much.
8: teachers that. letting them out of school the well, western Jesus. teachers are
6: already on the marches at the weekends aren't
8: they there there were there were there was also i think a school in bristol that took really tiny kids out mm. and gave them such an imbalanced view of the whole thing and you know it's true i think a lot of it is ignorance i mean i remember when the marches first people first started marching and i was like hang on a minute your timing like this terrible thing has yeah. happened why are you doing right. this and then i realized actually they don't really even know october 7th happened right. or they don't think it happened it's just some ignorance. of them don't
6: believe that it happened which is another you know, know conspiracy theory mad thing that's going on but we'll come back to that because we're gonna have a look at, proper look at what's going on front pages of the papers the panel will stay here you're watching the independent of mike graham do not go anywhere